Hi everybody, this is Craig. Welcome to The Wine Beat. Today's episode is an interview with Senka Tennant of Terra Vista Vineyards. Senka is one of the most compelling and one of the most important winemakers in the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia today. And I'm not going to give it any more introduction to that. Uh, listen to the podcast, listen to the interview, and let's uh, let's hear Senka tell her story. I know you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. Hi, Senka. Hi. Well, thanks for letting me invite myself to Terra Vista. No problem. Love to have you. We're sitting on your crush pad. Correct, outdoors. yes. Outdoors. Yes. So we might get a bit of bird song and... Yes. Ben. And we have our backs to the smoke in the valley right now. Yeah, I was going to yeah. comment on that because um, normally we'd have a lovely view over the lake. We would, yes, but unfortunately um, it looks to like the end of the earth today out there. Yeah, it's not lovely. We're no, it's some... not. It's rather apocalyptic, actually. Yeah, so it's it's mid-August in, uh, in the Okanagan Valley. Yes. We're uh, on the Naramata Bench, which mm-hmm. is a famous winemaking region just outside of Penticton. In Correct, the Okanagan. yes. Mm-hmm. And we have been suffering for the last, what, four or five days from yeah. smoke. Yeah, uh, that's been the worst, the last four or five days, although it's been on and off for the last two weeks, I would say, yeah. since yeah. The, end, it's the end of July or so. It started the long weekend. But since, what, kind Thursday, of, Friday, it sort of settled Yeah, and yesterday valley. it was really bad. It was 10 plus, actually, uh, the air quality. So, are, you, are you worried about smoke tank? No, I'm not worried about the smoke tank. I'm only worried about my own lungs because I'm starting to feel it, especially if I'm out there in the vineyard. Yeah, I've For any amount of, yeah, scratchy tickling. throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. 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 Low-grade headaches sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, but mine has been sore throat mostly, so... Okay, well, that's not the most positive stuff, but it is where we are. Some, some, somewhere where we are right now. And some wine-growing regions are suffering worse than we are. Correct, yes, yeah. much worse than we are. Yeah. This isn't actually fires in our wine region. This is fires from elsewhere, everywhere else that they're burning in the province. So. No, that, that's true, right? right. This, is, this is blowing yeah, in so and it's not in the really, valley. yeah, anywhere close, although we've had couple of days of ash but nothing like in 2003 when Kelowna was burning so nothing like that uh so we're at Terra Vista Vineyards which yes. is your winery you, yes. you and your husband uh, yes. are the proprietors yes. winemakers and viticulturalists correct yes and uh it's a it's a lovely facility I want to mention the architecture I love the building thank you it's thank not a, you it's not a big winery no uh, and it's built into a hill yes and uh, very sustainable. Uh, it holds its temperature very well. Uh, Nick Bavand actually designed this uh, winery. He was then working for CEI. He also designed our other winery at Black Hills, uh, the, the working facility. Uh, this is strictly a, a working facility, crush pad uh, winery operation. We don't have a formal tasting room. Uh, part of the, the actual cellar is our tasting room, which suits some people not everybody uh there's no t-shirts there's no souvenirs it's just wine basically you don't have any cutting boards or no cutting boards no cutting boards i sometimes put out crackers that come out of a box right um jams no jams no jams no jams there's really literally nowhere uh we have dog calendars because ben our dog has always been featured in the dog calendars and there, because so, we yeah. rightly so, and, and because um, we love animals, we also, uh, the actual dog calendar support SBCA. It's a fundraiser for SBCA. So um, nice. when people purchase those calendars, actually, the money goes to the SBCA as opposed to any other profit. Um, that's who profits from the sales, basically. Yeah, so we've been here since uh, 2009. Uh, we planted our vineyard, and uh, it's actually a five-acre property. Uh, the vines are, are planted to two Spanish varietals. Uh, 70% of the vineyard is planted to uh, Alparino, and the other 30% approximately is uh, planted to Verdejo. Uh, and that is uh, the label that we came out with called Fandango, uh, which is a proprietary name. And uh, yeah, that's where we've been growing and uh, somewhat a little, something a little bit different. Yeah, very much a pioneering thing. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but you're not new to this wine region at no, all. You are, no, in fact, no, uh, we you moved, and Bob have been in the industry here 
for now Quite a while. 22 years actually we started in 96 which in the Okanagan Valley is is, is, is long yeah, yeah yeah there's no not like decades and decades here yet uh, because the pull was in the 80s actually when the farmers were paid off to pull out all the grapes all the hybrids in the province and um and Black Sage Road, where we were at before, turns to desert very, very quickly without water, without irrigation. So it was, uh, when we bought the property on Black Sage Road, it was just full of tumbleweed. And um, although the old irrigation was still existing, uh, not operating, um, it, um, I, I really fell in love with the place and just that whole dry desert feel. I, uh, I never knew how much the climate really suits suits me. And uh, when we saw the property, bought the property with our partners and uh, with another couple, the partners were. And uh, we basically sold everything we had in Vancouver, both of the, both of the couples. Uh, they had a son later on in who was actually born in Penticton. Our kids were born in Vancouver. And um, we just moved here, lock, stock, and barrel. You know, I sold my business. My husband sold his business. We sold our houses. And um, I guess we got the bug. We, we definitely wanted to move out of the city um, at the yeah, time. Yeah, so what came first? Was it getting out of the city and, and yeah, coming to the Yeah, with the idea. It... Bob and I started every year we'd come out here. And I may be jumping around here a little bit in the sort of chronological yeah, aspect. But... Um, um, Bob and I met each other at UBC and in one of our last years, and uh, I was actually on my way to Europe and, uh, um, you know, ended up doing our teaching certificate at UBC. I have a degree in botany. Bob has a degree in agriculture. So in those days, you know, quite often, yeah, I quite often, you know, we we're both high school teachers. We finished the program. Uh, with the idea, oh, so you I was actually going, have your teaching. I do, I do. I'm a high school teacher oh, yeah. uh, to teach science, actually, and biology, eleven and twelve. Anyways, uh, so I wanted to also combine my degree with French. I'm really stepping back in time, so I took a course at Laval one semester, and uh, Bob went up to the Charlottes that year to teach. He had a teaching position. I went back to Europe. Went up there. Lived with him for six months. Prince loved Charlotte it. Islands. Yeah. Well, Haida Gwaii, I should say. That's not politically incorrect, probably, between oh, okay. Charlotte's. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and then we moved to Vancouver. Life took turns. and uh, But we came up here a lot in the summertime. Were you teaching in Vancouver? No. I was subbing. Bob took a year out, dabbled in the, you know, with his paints and stuff. And I went back to UBC to finish up my French degree. Anyways, then, yeah, in the summer times, we used to come up here. And every time we'd drive back into the city, you know, that city traffic entering Vancouver, and it's nothing. 20 years ago, it was, it's nothing like it is today, right? Yeah. yeah. And just about. getting over the bridge. And we used to feel this heightened anxiety right. kind of coming back into the coming city. Back into the city. And our hearts were always kind of left here, and we always, mm. and then, uh, you know, 40s. Uh, but here being where in the, so in the Okanagan? In the Okanagan, mostly. You know, never up here, really. It was more South Kelowna. Okanagan. Oh, no, no, oh, never Asuyas. Kelowna. No, more Asuyas, more uh, South okay. Okanagan, right definitely. Right near the U.S. border, for those who don't understand. Kind of, kind of in that area, yeah. yeah. So we actually, him and I, looked at some orchards in the Smokamine Right. We thought, okay, well, we can get a oh, you teaching been real job. In this yeah, Europe, right? and then we thought, okay, we'll plant some really heritage apples. We'll go that route. And no, the grapes were really entering our sort of scope of imagination, really. That's what it was at that time. So what else can we do? So we knew, you know, capers existed on Fourth Avenue. And people paid a dollar an apple because it was organic and blah blah, right? So. So we, you know, I've always, I've always gone to the Apple Festival. I love fruits and vegetables. I've always, we both have that sort of kinship 
between us. We just love growing stuff. And we get excited over stuff like that. You both have green thumbs? No, not so much green thumbs. I just get excited about okay. produce. I don't know. I was kind of a person that drove down Broadway and looked at the collies, what they were like at the I produce. I produce, produce too, but I have no green thumb. Right yeah. Now. No, we, we, well, I don't know what degree of green thumb, but, you know, we germinate all our seeds and we plant our big garden every year, et cetera. So nice. anyways, that's always been, you know, growing and Finding new things have always been a. So, what are we talking about here? The mid '90s. You're feeling that call. Uh, yes. Yeah. You're thinking about whether yeah, you should move. Yeah, here. early '90s. That would have been. Early '90s. So the idea was, and we actually that orchard is still there in Smokemane. It was an old red delicious orchard, and we actually looked at that because that at the time it was for sale, and we thought, okay, well, we'll just you know uh, plant Cox and Pippin or, or some really heritage apples and. Salomon's teach, you know, this will be our kind of farm hobby, extra income, blah, blah, exactly, or whatever, yeah. And then the other couple we're interested in, um, that sort of lower mainland Vancouver exodus, um, I think it's an age thing. I think think it's your 40s, your kind of early 40s, you kind of go, okay, this is it. You either stay on your front porch or you make a move, kind of. Um, well, cities are best when you're younger, right? I mean, as yeah, a, as and a I think I think when you're younger, things don't bother you as much. The rain doesn't bother you, you know. Yeah. Uh, life is just your own little uni- universe, all you know, within certain or certain parameters around you. Yeah. Whereas I think as you get older, things um, outside, infl- you know, it just starts really bothering you right the rain the rain the windshield wipers going left right left right no light Vancouver you know in November is it wakes up it doesn't never wake up and it goes to sleep at five o'clock without any light basically uh, we all remember YVR in the summer when everybody's rollerblading and running and cycling but yeah most of the year um, yeah incredible. it's gorgeous right. yeah but it's most incredible. of the year it's it's pretty well dark. I think there's also a thing where some people are happy to stay in their place yeah, forever. And then there's those people who have, have a I think yearning. you see here now a much bigger exodus of these young couples, uh, you know, just about our age with their families moving out here because they want the simpler life for their kids. They don't want to be watching their kids. They don't want to be picking up their kids for, for everything. They want their kids to play outside a little bit and not have to watch them like a hawk, right? right? Yeah. And... Um, so, uh, yeah, so we found the property, uh, bought it in 96, and then we moved up here, like I said. That's, that's the Black Hills property. That's the Black Hills property. So you property. made a shift in thinking. From yeah, that was 35 acres we bought between uh, our partners. But now you're thinking, you know, you went from thinking about growing apples and selling red delicious apples. Well, yeah, to- and it was because of the partnership, because we couldn't afford, we could not finance something like what we bought on Black Sage Road. So it was strictly... And it was purely farmland, so... It had, had been a vineyard, actually, before. Okay. It had hybrids. Actually, where we, where we built our house was a hybrid, excuse me, a grape nursery down just below the house where our garden was. You oh, know, they, know, they had a nursery for other... You know nursery. how you have vines, you know, you have a nursery. Yeah, yeah and then... Uh, but there was no winemaking facility on the property. No, there was the Quonset that. hut, right? Which was really a demolition... He had a... I don't know, he was into demolition derbies and stuff, so he was so working what was that? Cars. What was that moment when you realized that you were going to build a winery rather no, than just No, yeah, there was no moments. It was just a sort of a natural progression of, you know... Um, we had the, the building... There was no power, no water, no, no, there was power, sorry, but there was no running water in the building. And of course it wasn't insulated. So um, we had a, a little pot belly stove and the guys actually built most of our house, like cupboards and stuff, uh, inside this Quonset hut that winter. And we started planting grapes, right? Okay. So all four of us. And so we planted 25 acres of grapes we lost like all gazillion pounds all put together the four of you did the work yeah the four of us did when there was one east indian lady that actually helped us um on the planting machine and uh and you know we did all the irrigation we glued pipe we 
I, I, the cool thing about that place is I knew exactly. I was a city dweller. I mean, I didn't know. I, I knew now how to pull a phone into your house, how to run lines through conduits and all that kind of stuff. I had no idea about that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Bob knew a little bit more, of course, because, but then he was a builder in the city. You just hook up to the city lines, right? You don't go build your own, right? And yeah. to put electricity underground and all that kind of stuff. So pull wires and that 25 was acres. 25 acres. We actually, the That's very a pretty last ambitious start. acre, we called it Mom's Little Acre because I I actually planted it with a Bob. Uh, that got planted the following summer. Right. And uh, yeah, but, but so the, the first summer you did 24 acres. Yeah, unbelievable. Oh, you guys are crazy. Unbelievable, that's, that's crazy. Big. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we had so much fun. We had such a gas. Um, yeah, we were like, you know, we didn't, we 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 were gonna grow grapes, but there was not a major you know scheme or plan here that we were gonna go to do to do. To None do. of did any of the four of you come from a winemaking background? Well, or wine you know, background? Bob and I are both science, right? So right. there's lots of chemistry and that kind of stuff, and um, just a whole growing aspect. And then Dick Cleave was actually we ended up giving him the property next door. We had the first bids on it. And we were just so our money was just like tied up. That was it. We, uh, he, you know, he was the grower on, on Black Sage Road and um, he helped us, you know, he advised us. He was actually a British horticulturalist who came also to BC and worked at Covert Farms growing tomatoes, etc. And then uh, him and Robert uh, Golds actually formed a, or formed a, a, like a viticulture consultant they would have group, you know, their their teams planting and all that. And we were actually, we ended up being pretty well his next door neighbor. That's and fortunate so he because did, Dick Cleave he did is one of those big, Yeah, totally, those, right? Yeah, totally. He just uh, came to visit us the other day, actually. wine growers from this region. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Probably one of the pioneers. And I always remember, he lived in the house where today the Wine Experience Center is of Black Hills. That that was Richard Cleve's house. And that that house was that exact location. That was his pool. Those parties at Black Hills, that was Richard Cleve's pool. <laughs> it was hilarious. And uh, I always remember 96 and Richard had Pinot Noir growing on his property. And Pinot was being picked in 96. It was one awful vintage. It was snowing and it was and I think, and like, I don't know, mid-October maybe. And uh, Bob and Petey were helping him pick, you know, drive tractor or whatever. And um, it was snowing. I thought I'd gone to like crazy place, you know. <laughs> I didn't know grapes were picked in snow. I had no idea I had these imaginary, you know, scenes of French countryside where you have big long table dinners after harvest and all this. And it was well, like, oh my God, we were just freezing. And it had been a cooking hot desert just uh And he was growing Pinot earlier. Noir. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you don't grow Pinot down in the South Okanagan. How right? did you choose that spot for Black Hills? Is, is it was just available. It was available. And I, you know. That was a lucky. Yeah, enough. it was... Um, I don't know. I stepped the, out there, and I just had a really... It was exactly like this place. You just have a good feel about a place, you know? You have to kind of listen to okay, that other tell, So you're not going to tell us a story about researching in minute detail that... No, 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 no. But there had been was, a vineyard there before, okay? So right. there was a good indication, absolutely. And Harry already had vineyards across the street from us, across Black Sage Road. So it was happening. It mm. was definitely... Uh, Harry had a huge presence. He, you know, he had 60 but been acres. Growing, they'd been growing uh, Yeah, they were growing Marlow. No, no, no. They were already starting to plant vinifras. Uh, okay. And okay. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the Becker project that changed all of that round. Uh, it was, he was a German guy from Giesenheim. And uh, he did a study that vinifera could do well in the Okanagan. Right. Okay. So the baby duck movement was, you know, we were moving away from that, that sort yeah. of hybrid growing yeah. and stuff. And then we... Yeah, and, and that winter, I thought, well, you know, I might as well go back to school or do something. I'm not going to sit around because winters are long, right? And 
in November of that year, the ground froze, the winter came, and nothing unthawed till the end of March or beginning of April. The ground was frozen. That's a cold winter for this. That was a very cold winter. I thought I'd moved to hell. And we had a little rented house on Vassal Lake because we didn't, you know, and our kids were going to school, obviously, then. And there was a bus that came every morning and picked them up and all that. So uh, fast forward, uh, planted the vineyard. Our first harvest was sold to Quills Gate, actually. Oh, really? Believe it or not, yeah. And uh, uh, Ben and Tony came down, and, you know, it was it was a different time. It was a long time ago. And, yeah. Uh, so um, the first vintage, you sold all the grapes? We sold all the grapes, Next yeah. vintage? Next vintage, uh, that was 90. Yeah, we sold all the grapes, but we were just ramping up to full production. Our capsule really didn't start producing till like, full, full-on production till like, 2000, 2001. Because don't forget, we just planted. You need three more yeah, years. So it's that first little crop and da-da-da-da-da-da, right? Sure. And then in 98, I, I was still going to school, like night school kind of thing here. Um, and we were the first paying students. The, the winemaking program at the college was instigated by the government, I believe, the first set of students that went through it. Just this is to, Okanagan College's winemaking Correct, program. here in, in Penticton, in not Penticton, in Cologne. Right. This isn't UBCO, and it didn't even exist in those days. Yeah. So we were the first paying students because um, it, was, it was a UI sponsorship the very first year to get employment for people living. Yeah, state. exactly, sort of UI kind of sponsorship. So when we entered the program that first year, we were the first paying students for the program. And so, uh, you know, there was different components. There was chemistry and there was, you know, cellar work. And then you had to apprentice somewhere. And my first apprenticeship was at Tinhorn, actually. And then it was at Hester Creek. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I kept going to school, and then I just got the buck. I just had to make the wine. So you and your husband, Bob, both took the same program at the same time? No, 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 no. No, only Uh me. Out of the foursome, I was the only one that went back to school. And I tell you, the winter here was just crazy that year. I had an old Isuzu. And I used to think, oh, my God, where the hell? I could, some nights coming home at 10 o'clock, I couldn't even see the highway. It was blowing up there and crazy. And don't forget, I was a, always, always a city driver. I can drive traffic like crazy. But I wasn't used to like driving, you know, ridiculous snow, snow yeah, storms. I think the and, climate was different then. Uh, it was it was nuts, and Kinda literally some nights, some nights driving because the school would be finished at ten o'clock at night. Right. Be like, oh my god! <laughs> Just like well, it was an we'd go, program. we'd go outside and go, oh, where is my car? <laughs> Anyways, you know the snow it just let. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Thankfully, I only had to go to Vassal Lake. I didn't have to go all the way down to Black Sage Road for the first year. For the second year, I was, we were already down there, and then we went and borrowed money. Converted the Quonset hut to a winery, and uh, that was the end of that. And then we hired... First fermentation was in which year? 99. 99. Which was the still very worst vintage in the Okanagan. I don't know. I think 99 is still worse than 96, and still worse than 2010 and 2011. What did you make? Did You, you made a board. I made blend? Nota Bene, 1,600 cases of it. Okay. But it was Merlot-based because okay. our Capsov wasn't still... Wasn't ready. No, wasn't ready. And we sold and some grapes too to, to that year. Mm. So that was the first vintage of Nota Bene, was 99. And uh, we didn't make, pick the Merlot until like end of October or something, like third week in October. Things were very, very late that year. Have you tried that Nota Bene? Nah, yeah, it's, yeah. I never thought even at the time that these, it was a it was a low pH year, so that's another reason I had a high acid, so it did, you know, kind of make it down the line a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, we never thought that, you know, there was no visions of what, of what Black Hills is today, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't part of our, imagination at all like not at all we just kind of loved what we were doing and had lots of great laughs and uh made 
you know, we just we just ha really had fun. Really, really had fun. Well, you're and famous for that Nota Bene. Uh, yeah. Maybe not the 99. But yeah, the, maybe the, not the 99. The Nota Bene is... Yeah, uh, is yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then the Nota Bene actually... And it was a banker um, that was working in Oliver at the time. He really believed our whole business plan, our whole... You, you know, he lent <laughs> us. He lent us the money. And uh, yeah. for a long time, we used to always send him a case of wine every vintage to thank him because he made our dream come true, basically. Hard to find a good banker. I know. I know. He came to visit us a couple of years ago. He's moved to West Kelowna. Right. He's totally, he, he, he believes in, you know, he, he, yeah. Anyways, um, had it not been for him, I don't know what would have happened because we didn't want to have any more investors in the prop, you know. Had we gone into more investors, that means they would have, I don't know, owned every fifth vine or something like that, right? Yeah, then you have more voices in the... Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. More mouths to feed and yeah. all that kind of stuff, right? So um, so then we continued, and uh, 2005, we decided, okay, we're really, you know, stretching our seams here now. Let's, uh, let's build a winery. And uh, in terms of a, a working facility, and uh, we approached Nick Bavanda, and that was his first winery that he ever really drew up. And we met with him for quite some time and built the winery. We had a budget. We again borrowed money, and we had a budget and how much. And because both the guys were really in construction, Bob was... Um, um, you know, he just said, okay, this is how much money we have, and you can't get over that, so that's it. So we built the winery, and we bottled the 2005 in the old Quonsetham. We did the 20, 2006 vintage. That was our first vintage in the new facility. The new yeah, and Nick went to uh, win the Lieutenant Governor's Award for architecture for that building that very year. Right, yeah. And he was so, 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 like, Totally. So, I mean, his office was just full of pictures of the winery. It was so cool because it, it was very much like this place, a lot bigger, obviously. But it was so functioning. You know, we worked out every little bug that worked for us. And uh, I, I love that space. Um, and he, I, always, I always feel like a lot of cellars are really dark. So we put this little strip of a skylight just to add that natural light. It was just, yeah, lovely space to work in. The basic in. design, did, did you have much input on the basic design? Oh, totally. We had, we always met with them. You know, Nick's... Uh, so you had the vision for the totally, look and feel totally, kind of thing. Totally, and, he, and what happens with design is you walk around and you find an architect who sees your vision the way you, th you want to express the, the building. So, and Nick certainly was very much in the same what we had envisioned. His other buildings were, you know, uh, Merganser, Hood and Merganser, the RCMP station. They were all pointing in the direction which we wanted to go in. So uh, where some other architects, what things that they built, they just didn't talk back to us, basically. Their, their, their design idea, right? Even though you're, you're not related or associated with Black Hills anymore, maybe we'll put some links to Black Hills so people can... Yeah, yeah. Actually, pictures. you know what? That that design of the building, um, uh, when when we sold the winery in two thousand and actually we sold the winery at Christmas of two thousand and seven. Um, when they built the Wine Experience Center, Nick also designed that as well for Glenn at the time. But um, we only built the actual working facility. Not that was Glenn All who right, built okay, the Wine okay. Experience Glenn Center. It had nothing, the, nothing, the who nothing to do with us. But he also was sensitive enough to use Nick so that it would, you know, the same sort of form design would, would translate into any further building, basically. And your strategy then was stainless steel fermentation? Uh, no, we had, oh, no, no, no. We we always did the whites in uh, barrel, like Sam always got barrel fermented, punch and fermented. Okay. That was my alibi was, um, the first vintage of alibi was 2003. It's a very we, very well thought of wine. Very yeah, yeah. Wine for that, I went to. We actually went to France. That I met uh, Didier uh, at a conference down in uh, Connecticut Harbor at the Sauv Blanc conference. And when we were going to France, I sort of contacted him. He met with us, and uh, 
Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a bit of a. He was very much of a trailblazer too. He just didn't really care what people thought. He just did what he did. And uh, because we had, um, we planted some semion as a sort of we call it our uh, yellow brick road at the. And the alibi is a Sauvignon Blanc. Sauv Sauv Blanc Sam. And the only other Sauv Blanc Sam was actually uh, Harry had what he called a white meritage. And the white meritage was growing on Black Sage Road. So, uh, and at that point, we were selling um, uh, our fruit to Cedar Creek. And uh, Tom DeBello came on the scene, and you know, Sablanc is it's warm to to uh, to grow Sablanc down there, but you just have to harvest it at the right time. The window is really really tiny. You can't, you know, another three days, mm, and it's gone, right? So it's a very crucial grape to harvest. There's, there's Every year there was like about a week window, depending what the season was like. But if I looked over five or six years of picking dates, they were all within like three days of each other. Um, so it was a very, very crucial time to, um, the, the harvest date was very crucial for it. And then you can get, you could get what you wanted in the winery without... So yeah. you have to you have to pick that Sauvignon Blanc at in that very narrow window. Yeah, the yeah. for the style that you want. Okay, once that's gone, you're into a completely different style, and right. it's not what I wanted, right? And so. the Semillon, when does that ripen? A Semillon was always a little bit later. So you don't um, co-ferment them, you? Uh, no, I never co-fermented. Separately. And the Sem always went into the 500 liter puncheons. Okay. Actually, that was fermented, barrel fermented. in barrel barrel fermented. And the very first year, 2003, I had I bought a puncheon and uh, fermented it in the cellar, in the back of the cellar, actually, by itself. And we that was the year we picked really, really early. That was the year of the fires, actually, Kelowna fires, 2003. So, so I think so, when people think of Black Hills, they think Nota Bene, obviously. Yeah, but many do alibi. They do. There which one is, are you most proud uh, of? Alibi was my total creation, you know, it was my own thought, mm. and uh, I gave it a lot of, lot of thought how I was going to deal, and I loved Sauv Blanc. It was right outside our house. It's just the yummiest thing to eat uh, before harvest, because it has all that terpenes, and you break it down, and the flavor is amazing. And so in the morning, I used to go, go on there and go, oh my God, I love this, and uh so I think Cedar Creek brought it for one year, and then we took it over uh, after that, and um, maybe two years. I honestly can't remember. You know, it's really going down in the yellow brick road, the past yellow brick road. Um, so uh, yeah. But you ended up selling Black Hills in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Christmas of two thousand and seven, our partners wanted out. You know, it was time they they, um, especially uh, the gentleman and. Uh, so, um, and we didn't want to take it over, you know, it was just too much money. And uh, we were already in our early 50s, and it was just too much money to undertake it in terms of a loan and, you know, going to debt and et cetera. That's different when you're younger, right? And yep. so uh, it sold, right? Glenn raised the money, Glenn got the winery, I stayed on, everybody left. The, uh, uh, Glenn really gave me, I, I still have that letter somewhere, he really gave me a, a lovely scenario of a letter of how, if I wanted to stay, you know, in a consulting capacity, da-da-da, three different scenarios. And I really searched and I thought, well, it's, this isn't me anymore, you know, this is somebody else because I'm sort of my own, yeah, captain of my ship kind of person, you know. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I just, yeah, I, I, I don't think I could ever work in that large... Did you have uh, a... Did you have a maybe if I'd been younger in my another life, you know, if I'd started at a, at a younger age, I don't know. But I, yeah, I, I just, it's not for me. And as part of the sale agreement, did you have a period of time that you would I stay did, I did. It was, uh, yeah, right. I had to... Then they started looking for a winemaker right. when I wanted to bow out. And uh, or within that period, I don't remember all the you know the details. But you had a chance to. Yeah, absolutely. Because he said, "Hey, you know, I've got one right in front of me. What am I talking about here?" And uh, they started, you know, headhunting, and really there was like amazing. I'm sure Glenn doesn't mind me saying there was amazing amount of resumes that came in Mm -hmm. for the position. And then you know there was interviews and a headhunter and. 
Um, yeah, and so Graham was chosen. And so I stayed on till I said I really wanted to stay till the end of my vintage. And so, you know, from January on, because everybody left. And, That's you know, the, the wines were going through ML and stuff. It's like everybody left because it was holiday, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. So uh, I did all of that. And then um, I think Graham walked in in March or mid-March, end of March, something like that. He left Mamboucheray. And uh, then we worked together. And, you know, just diverse. And it was, it was, yeah, it was very amicable, really. And so, and then we found this property that same year. I w there was a clause in my contract. I think I couldn't make any commercial wine within, I don't know, X number of kilometers or something like oh, that, okay. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which is not unusual. So coming up to Terra Vista, so we're, Terra Vista. We're, we're coming up a little bit north in the Okanagan Valley, Correct, for those who aren't yeah. so familiar. Yeah. Uh, Black Sage Road is down uh, Correct. south of Oliver. We were, we were on a beach on Black Sage Road. Here we're on Sandy Loam, gravelly Sandy Loam, very, very different terroir, water completely different, you know. Um, there's lots of aquifers here. With Do the you like the soil up here? I do for the variety, yeah, totally. So that's interesting. Especially at this at this elevation, I like the. Um, I always knew also that Riesling did very well on this bench, mm -hmm. and Alberino is kind of. It's not proven scientifically, and I met a guy actually in Portugal who worked in Galicia, who was a scientist, and uh, genetically, no, they say it's not, um, but uh, there are other uh, factors that. Uh, lead to, for you to believe that Albarino was high Rhine. So the Germans, you know, when you look at Galicia, it looks like Ireland, actually. It's very bucolic, little hills, you know, sheep grazing, that kind of thing. And uh, yep. it's very green. Very, it's, well, it's, it's cold it's and very, wet, right? Yeah, cold and wet. Um, That's Ben in the background, for those of you who can hear Ga Ben. Gaelic, right? Galicia, right? right yeah. So, mm -hmm. And so Alba, meaning high Rhine, uh, Rino is they say that the name came from High oh, Rhine that it was the actual cuttings were brought down to Galicia but then I think there were really really um, uh, it, it, there was a selection there because the grape is superbly superbly um, you know it just has hum no humidity it's thick skin so mildew is just not an issue with the grape at doesn't all bother it. it doesn't bother it and I think it's because it was selected you know, through decades in Galicia. Sure. And, and because of the pressure off the ocean, the humidity off the ocean and disease pressure, they also grow it on basil, meaning on, you know, like a table grape. So nothing glow to the ground, right? Keep Again, because the of the, yeah, um, it's like a table grape. It's not even a high trellis. It's like they pick it like this on machine, you know, they they Up have little, yeah, 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 just like table grapes. And, uh so it, it was selected that it really has, so even in years like this where there is a mildew pressure in the Okanagan now, uh, it marches through, so not a, a problem. So there's a chicken and egg question. You've got, you find this beautiful piece of land. Did you find this piece of, piece of land thinking this is well suited to Albarino? I, I did actually, because I started thinking about Albarino in 2008. You were way ahead of your time. I was, yeah. I was so You're bent. still ahead of your time. I was Albarino. so bent on this grape. I don't Why? know. From going to Spain? I, well, I started reading, you okay. know, no, no, I hadn't even been to Spain yet. I, I started reading and then actually Bob and I, when the winery sold, I was still at Black Hills working we went down to Central Coast in Edna Valley. They had some plantings down there, like five acres in Tangent, a Louis Obispo area. I was, I remember, because we had such trouble getting the vines. And uh, I remember Bob saying to me, don't you want to plant Sauv Blanc or something? I was like, no, something I don't. Something you can at least find the vines. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Material. Yeah, yeah, because they all come from California, right, from yeah. nurseries. Yeah. But it's hard because, you know, there's... The, the vines are limited. You have to let them know well in advance to, for them to put them out in mother blocks in nursery. So, you know, but if there's a die-off, like how do you know, especially in a small place like this, right? So, and we did have 2008 we planted. A 2000, yes, yeah, some, a block of Verdejo. 
and some Albarino, and then 2009, the rest of it, because we couldn't get all the vines. So we started planting in May, April of 2008, mm -hmm. but not all of it, because we couldn't get the vines. It was just a start, and then we finished it off in 2009. It took us ages to plant, because, you know, if vines were hard to get. Right. And so in 2009, and then that cold Alaska front came, well, there were baby vines, you know, no root system yet or anything. We lost like third of them because sure, of you blow it every day. Uh, 2009, harvest of 2009, it was a very good vintage in the Okanagan. The reds were awesome, but this cold front came. So the harvest came in great. Killed the youngest vines. Yeah, but there was a major kill that year, major kill. They had kill. to go back to the... Yeah, the to the drawing board. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you know, we and had Bob, to. Bob's still asking the question. Are and you that's sure why we no, 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 no. At that point, we were very committed. And this this little block here, that was the one that got planted in two thousand and eight. So there was crown gall in there, basically, because of that cold front. Uh, right. uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it called. And so that's why. No, 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 no. That's a replanted one. Oh, okay. Come on, you were out in the vineyard today. See this little baby plants here. We oh, pulled it all out finally last year and replanted that. Replanted yeah. the spring. Because we were like, okay, that's it. It's got to come out. We just hadn't had, because um, we do everything here, you know, just everything. It's super interesting. Um, and it's painting such a, a great picture of what you're doing here and, and how you're tackling it. But you've chosen some interesting varieties to plant. It's not, yeah. not just these two Spanish uh Verdejo and, and Albariño. Yeah, which, so we which went, are both from northwestern Spain. Uh, Rueda. Verdejo is from Rueda, so it's more central Spain. A little bit closer to So Madrid. Riviera del Duero, kind of. You speak Spanish, so. Um, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. We, uh, so when we went to Spain, the harvest of 2008, we drove to all the small DOs, and they were just kind of starting then. You know, Bierzo and Valdeoras and Galicia and Riesch. And Riesch is actually composed of three parts. And so you have Orosal, Salinas, yes. And uh, so the three parts are just for uh, three three areas. So yep. Salinas is more that Cambados area. And then there is Orosal and Conde de Terre. That's the third one. So actually, in Galicia, you know, sometimes when writers write about Albarino, it's this or that. They actually are very different where they come from. These are their sub-GIs, if you like, in Galicia. So Riesch is the whole region. The you could make a study of the Albarino from each of those regions. I could, and, I could. And, you know, in 2008, there was, because there's also a renaissance of winemaking in Spain. Yes, for you sure. You know, Spain has always been a huge wine producer. But kind of, you know, that entry level like wines. Up the quality. Exactly. And, and a lot of young people, Alvario Palacios, you know, these people that have got passion mm. and fire. And he basically put Priorat back on the map. And. Uh, His Bierzo wine. Uh, Bierzo, Bierzo oh is um, Mencia, which yeah. is kind of more like. Pinot Noir, yeah. it's, uh, and his... Pitalos is the one he makes. Have you had that one? Uh, uh, Pitalos, yes. And Pitalos is Villa nice. Franca de, del Bierzo. Yeah. Is actually where the winery was then in 2008. And Ricardo, who is Palacio's nephew, was running that winery. And this is how lovely it was. Um, he was calling it Desidientes de Palacio Alvaro Palacio, something like that. That descendants of is that and did I pronounce that properly? Yeah, yeah. Descendientes. Descendientes. Anyways, so we were walking down the streets in Villafranca del Bierzo, and uh, actually it was at the time when uh, the pilgrimage to Compostela was happening. Some of the buses had stopped there too, and I found I I, I came across because I'd read a little bit about Alvaro. It was like, oh my God, here's the winery. So I knocked at the door. It was a big wooden door and no answer, right? And so the next day, one of the little man doors was open and I went in. Well, he was amazing. He was very, very gracious and let us have barrel tastings. I mean, we were like, whatever, right? I just, that's the kind of spirit I love. That is, that, that is what I'm all about. You know, yeah. it, it just Open actually door, that captures 
it, it, it is who we are, both. Yeah, both of us. It, it's, it's because wine is just life. Wine is such a big part of our, you know, it's culture. It's so much more than just, you know, a beverage, right? That, that was a beautiful day, actually. And we, I remember that night in Villa Franca because we stayed in this little hotel. We ordered Petalos. I came back, and we had agents then who worked with us at Black Hills. And I remember, Jamie, you should look at this Menzia stuff in Spain. Like, bring it in, man. Like, it's fabulous. And the price was right and all that. Well, he didn't. And, of course, now it's in the liquor store today, you yeah, know? Yeah. That label with the... I have a picture of it from 2008 yeah. that at, at this little... It was like a, um, it wasn't a hostel, it was like a guest house, if you like. So we had a room and they almost had uh, meals down there that were pre-ordered, like there was no menu, it was like choose this or choose that. And Patelos was on the on the menu, so we had a bottle of that. And, and also we had just met Ricardo that day. That was their sort of entry level, actually, wine at the time. That wasn't their top bottling. Mm. And... Uh, Loved it, and I remember, and I even had like, I kept notes of, of sort of things like, Jamie was into Spanish wines, and I said, hey man, like you should look at this. This is, you know, just the start of it, the, that kind of, and, and the prices were always very good for, for imports. So. I like that wine, and, and I came across it you know, a bit by accident because I hadn't had many wines from northwestern Spain. Yeah, yeah. And a friend recommended Bierzo. He says, Bierzo, this, is, this is an up-and-coming yeah. up coming region. Yeah. That, that's a yeah. good wine. Yeah. So, but you're into whites. You're in, you're not uh, you're not doing... Yeah, well, so, you do yeah, well, yeah. So the idea came that it didn't actually... It, it, it's evolved into that, I suppose. Um, I just started really uh, falling in love with more white wines and, and uh, uh, not that I never was before, but... I, I think that white wines, white wine is somewhat not explored as much because it's serious, you know. And yet there's just as serious or can be just as serious. And, uh, and again, food, 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 right? So kind of the philosophy of Terra Vista is being at your table with white wine for all occasions, right? A big part of your ethos is the is the is the matching with food, the pairing, and totally. The, and, and so that we're not just sitting on the patio at five o'clock, happy hour. We're actually bringing white wines at Thanksgiving, at you know bigger celebrations, and and I also find that there well, is again that yes, because they work well on the patio. Totally, totally. I'm it's not no saying, but at least there is that crossover rather than keeping them on the patio, right? Uh, yeah. So the Figaro label is more that, the Rue Saint-Marcin-Bionnier. Yep. And I started doing that in 2008. I made uh, 50 cases of it for okay, our own let's family. Okay, down a little bit because yeah. um, for those who aren't yet familiar with your wines, you've got those Spanish varietals, the um, Albarino and the Verdejo. That goes only into our Fandango bottling. And yeah, you make a single varietal, single Alberino, varietal Alberino that started in which 2014. Which will match anything from Riespaisius, I would but, say. But but um, 2014, just because our crop wasn't big enough to come out as a varietal until 2014, and we started doing it in 2014. And also, a neighbor from Black Hills has a little bit uh, growing for us down south. So there is that like, kind of spin to the to it's not solely our vineyard so it's 30 percent his vineyard and so it also gives it that little spin on on the whole rather than moving it away from fandango which is more about all palette 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 kind of yeah thing so uh fandango yeah. is the alberino verdejo correct blend. and all from our vineyard all all yeah. from our vineyard fandango is strictly from our vineyard alberino is 70 percent fandango is incredible that's a fantastic one yeah and what, there was one of one of the questions you said actually was um, Fandango. It was my friend that said, you know, when I have Fandango, I can't really compare it to anything else. And she is a big, she knows her BC wines very, very well. And I always took that remark as being very well put, actually, because I don't think it really compares to anything else. And uh, and I love hearing things like that. <laughs> actually, it's uh, you know a little. Shining onto my whatever what I thought. Oh, is that, but, is that, that the question I suggested about? Yeah, there were some some if somebody, question. If somebody drank one of your wines and they said, "Oh my God!" Exactly. Blank, what would that blank be that yeah. would really turn? I can't turn compare your this to drink? anything else. 
that's that's that was what her mind oh, okay. and and we oh, were okay. walking one day with the dog is and she said no when i have that it's like i i just i can't i, I there's nothing to compare it to really <laughs> and i thought well that's exactly the idea of it so uh, well put i actually wrote it in one of my notes i think so the single varietal varietal the Alberino, single varietal came in 2014 and, and then figaro was actually our first blend in 2010 and that's I your own basically that's Rhone. our own well, we made that at uh, Marshall, actually. He let me in his cellar and a little corner of the cellar, very graciously let me make the wine because this facility wasn't finished yet. Mm-hmm. And then we transferred the wine from his winery license to after we bottled it to here. In 2008, just after we came back from Spain, uh, and I really have meant to, Ron Fournier, who was a grower down south, was one of the first people that planted Rhone whites and he planted Roussin, Marsan, Viognier. Viognier mm-hmm. he always had but then on his top vineyard he planted Roussin and Marsan. He was always inquisitive to see how these grapes would do in the Okanagan. There's only one row of Marsan just below Black Sage Road. Huge, bond, you know, <laughs> we had no idea when he, I remember him bringing them, I was like holy smoke, this is, they're very very big, big clusters. Anyways, um, <clears throat> And so that year, before we left, I, he said to me, why don't you make some white wine? Why don't you make some Roussin for us, just for our families, because I couldn't make any commercial. And he had a, like a, a fruit cooler. And I said, okay, well, let's make it in there. There's temperature. We can do with that. And we don't have any pumps, so we'll just rack with the fork. He had a forklift. So we'll rack from the barrel to the tank and, you know, use a forklift for racking. All gravity done with a siphon tube. Right. And the wine turned out really, really well. And uh, and so it was co-fermented, actually. It was the Viognier and the Roussin were co-fermented. Because oh, okay. his pickers went into one of the Roussin rows that we were supposed to get. So I said, <laughs> okay, well, let's grab a little bit more Viognier. You know, it was all very loosey-goosey kind of. And, uh, and so they got 25 cases, we took 25 cases, and the wine was delicious. And so that was, my, that was my birth of that whole Rhone Whites. And look at now, they've just done doing so well. People are planting now Roussin left, right, and center. It is showing up in a lot of uh, yeah. And, um, producers. Yeah. There was one grower down south that actually had the three varieties in the vineyard. Really, I didn't know. Uh, Mick also planted a little bit on Black Sage Road, but it wasn't. And then Blind Creek Vineyard, there wasn't that much of it in the, in the valley well, at let all. Me ask, let me ask you this question, because, you know, you buy a vineyard property, you've had the experience with Albarino and you're thinking this land is well suited, this climate is well suited to Albarino, but so is a risky proposition. Absolutely. You you don't know what the the location is going to provide. Totally. Totally. But you know, I would, I, yeah, you're just like. You've got the Spanish varietals, you've got the Roman varietals. Yeah, but you just go, you know, it's like something inside just tells you, yep, that's what I I don't know what that is. That I, I can't. Yeah, you know, I mean, you just can't, at some point, you know, it's like those decisions that you, in life, that are fairly life-altering, if you really sit around and think about them too much, all that logic, maybe they're not to be decided upon. You have to follow the heart at some point, right? Plug your nose and go. Exactly. Or the gut feeling or something, right? Mm. Otherwise, you'll never make, you'll never take that step forward if you cross all your T's and dot all your I's, right? Don't you think? I agree totally. I mean, I you know, totally. you why do people meet each other and they fall in love? And what is that? Is that a scientific experiment? No. I, I mean, is that like science there? Life is always best experienced if you're not sure if the safety net is really there. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's always, it's always, there's something there. You just know it, right? That it's the right thing to do. So for you, what is the most important thing in white wine making? Because you, you, you are a white wine specialist. Just largely. listen. Just really listen. And listen to that intuit, you know, that intuitive stuff, right? Because I do a lot of blending, basically, right? I always blend. I'm a blender, basically. I'm <laughs> a blender, right? I love blending. And so I never put all my eggs in one basket kind of thing. And then listen to that. Listen to, you know, I we pick our grapes with the idea of the blend, not with, the, I already know how that's going to work in the blend. Now I know a heck of a lot more than I did certainly 
nine or ten years ago, but I know by tasting how that's going to come into the blend kind of thing. And, I mean, the blend varies a little bit, you know. You kind of have to, because of the vintage, you have to tweak it here and there. But uh, that is the art, is, is the real art in blending. And being, you're just basically a translator from there to here, you know, with not a lot of kerfuffle. It, it is all there. It really, really is. But I don't, I, I mean, there is some translation, obviously, there, right? If you have good grapes. So give us a snapshot, because blending is such an amazing thing. It fascinates me. Um, it, yeah. it blows me away when I see people, winemakers, who are good at it. Yeah. To be able to pick out the characteristics of individual lots and say, this will work well with this one. Yeah. In your Albarino, starting there, is, yeah. there, is there a blending process with Albarino from different... Plots. Oh yeah, it's always a yeah, Fandango and Albarino as a varietal is 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 actually a blend. It's not How many different lots are you working with with the oh, single Oh god, varietal? very small amount. I'm not aware. No, it's when when things get small, the percentages get that much have more, much more impact. You know, when you're making 2000 cases, 5% is not as much as when you're making 50 cases or something. So Right. Every liter, actually, it, it's, it's just a different kind of math you're looking at or, or visions that you're looking at. So it, it, the tweaking has to be right on. And I also think that there's not a lot of room for error there. There really isn't. Yeah, there's not, right. in these small operations, there's no room for error. So the Nota Bene was the same, like where, you know, and there was no bulk market. There's none of that kind of stuff happening, right? So, you know, those those were different times here. It had in to be the good. It had to be marketable. Pretty well. Pretty well. Sink a tenant working without a safety net. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But no, there's just, you have to be on. You have to be. And you've been working with your husband for. Yeah, a long 20 time. Yeah. Some years. Yeah. Uh, what's that like? You bring different things to the table? Uh, yeah, we sure do. Uh, we're both pretty headstrong, so that's sometimes. Uh, but um, yeah, we 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 see things pretty well similarly. The only problem you, with that do, do is do you work on blending together? There's a question because we were just talking. About uh, not as much. I'll I'll prepare blends and how them taste that okay. kind of thing. Yeah. You know, oh, definitely was the same. At, yeah, we collab collaborate on everything. But the only problem with family businesses, you bring it home all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So in the middle of dinner, you go, oh, but did you talk and so-and-so and, you know. And I always remember our son used to go, can you guys stop talking about wine? Yeah, because it's your life. It's not a job. It's it's just, it's what you do, and, and that's your life. And I think his philosophy always has been, if it's not fun, I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, you know, his philosophy on a job is that is your life. Your job is your life, right? So you live it. This is living your life, basically. It's not like I say, oh, I'm going to go to work now, you know, and get ready for work. I just walk over here at night and <laughs> work is like... Well. I have to ask you, was that a rattlesnake in the picture uh, here in the crush Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, right over it's here. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I don't have any, I actually like, I don't mind snakes at all um, because they take care of a lot of our rodent population here. So People can see that in the gallery, uh, the yeah. photos in the gallery on your website. Yeah, those snakes, yeah. I was coming over for with a coffee one morning, was like, holy smokes. Uh, yeah, it was beautiful. Cause yeah, she was just letting, uh, heading uh, out for the crush pad and... Um, didn't disturb her, and she didn't mm. disturb me. So, uh, yeah. You also uh, do some work with Lariana Sellers. Can, I do. Can I mention that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, her? we've been uh, together since 2012. I was just down there yesterday. Wonderful people. Uh, really have had. Which uh, of the wines do you work on? All of them. All of them. I, I basically started working on them in 2012, which was their first first pressing was their Viognier which came from the vineyard and a little bit of... Um, I'll confess I've only had the Carmenere. Okay, the Carmenere, right. And which also the Carmenere, I started, we started Carmenere at Black Hills. That was another one of our wines, right? We started that bottling in 2005, was the first Carmenere. 
50 cases of it. The idea was to grow it. We had a little block right in front of the church there and to put it in Notre Bene to give it another little spin. But when we started doing the blending trials, it was like, well, that's not really having a huge impact. Yeah, so we bottled it by itself. Our agents sold it. And then the next year, the same, uh, 2006 and 2007. And then they took it over. So it was actually Dick Cleave who was then consulting to Lariana, to mm-hmm. Dan and Carol. Mm-hmm. And he suggested they plant Carmen Air. Because we were Black Hills, the first ones to have Carmen Air. And uh, they said, okay. But I didn't, you know, Carmen Air is dicey. It's really a dicey one in the, in the Okanagan. And uh, anyways, I started working with them in 2012 and um, did the Viognier. And then they wanted, they knew what they wanted to do. And, you know, I was going to help them kind of get there. And I wasn't the visionary there. Okay, and that was the difference. There was other people that approached me, but they didn't have a vision. They didn't know what they wanted to do. These guys knew what they wanted to do. It's just they didn't know how to get there. They had their grapes and blah, blah, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a matter of translation there, right? Again, what I was talking about before, it's, it's not a matter of, you know, seller and, and seller work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's been a wonderful uh, relationship. And, uh, you know, I went at pressing time down there first year and second year. And slowly, you know, they do all their cellar work themselves now and uh, have their own ideas. And But I help with the blending and they still, you know, it's like family down there. I was just down there yesterday. We, we tasted all the 2017s and then we had a big sort of a, well, a small kind of, uh, tasting of uh, some Okanagan ones and yeah just you know we just yeah it's it's been wonderful and that's what I it, they're yeah they're like they've treated me so well and uh, and Carol always said you know I said thank you and she goes well thanks for making all these delicious wines for us so you know it's a beautiful thing it's it, you know my heart just it's it's awesome I love it yeah 25 years almost of yeah, pushing yeah. Pushing new boundaries and creating And I often say to him, hey, products. you guys, I'm not... No, 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 no. They're coming out with a cab this year. They're, we're just releasing it. I say we. They're, yeah, straight cab. And, you know, they're a little vineyard. I mean, anybody can ripen stuff. It's certainly... And they're well, Carmenere. Cab is a challenge here in the Okanagan. It certainly is, is. And so is Carmenere, really. Carmenere is, is definitely that more ripe Carmenere, not, not the sort of, you know, savory... Uh, Carmen Air. So, um, yeah, it's, um, and so it worked. Yeah, I went, okay. You know, the grapes were there. But it's a finicky grape. It doesn't, I mean, that's why it fell out of favor in Bordeaux. It's not a big cropper. You know, it's it's finicky. It, it ripens different parts of the cluster, ripen differently. It's a loose cluster. It's, it's just not a big, and that's why it fell out of favor in Bordeaux. And then and ended up in uh, Chile. Chile, and they thought it was Merlot for the longest time, right? Right. So, but it has this savory aspect to it. They they don't certainly have. They might get in some cooler vintages, perhaps, but they certainly haven't had it yet. So, so there's only Black Hills, them, and uh, Mooncursor mm. um, that do a Carmenere. Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. I've seen that Mooncursor is producing a Carmenere. How's theirs? Is it good? The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't had it for a while, they're, but uh, Chris wines. is Chris. Chris is always experimenting with different yeah. grapes and yeah. stuff. So. Very interesting. Yeah, He's, yeah a little, little bit along the same uh, yeah. idiom as yeah. yourself with, yeah. with uh, yeah. trying different varieties, pushing so, new boundaries all the time. Yeah, I want to ask you that? one more question. You've been okay. really yeah. generous with your time. Yeah, your wines are amazing, and the quality is incredible. But, but mm-hmm. your price point is so attractive. Yeah, what's your thinking there? What is what is because uh, you have to make. You have to make them approachable in terms of the price. We're not building, you know, empires here. We're just making wines so people can, every, you know, more people can enjoy them rather than making that sort of the 2% or whatever. Congratulations. You know? That's amazing. Yeah. So. I've always actually, you know what? Look at Blue Mountain or somebody that, that has been in the, in the valley forever. Have their wines increased in price? Their quality has always been amazing. 
And I love that aspect. And they've stayed true grit. So do I. As a wine grit. buyer, you appreciate that. You, they've stayed true grit to who they are, what they're I all about. Their $27 bubbly is the best in the valley, I think. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. They don't the uh, use uh, their biodynamic growing as a marketing ploy. They, they do what they do. Sure. They do it well. And they don't charge an arm and a leg for it. Yeah. So they are who they are. And so you always know what you're going to get. And I love that. The philosophy oh. remains. Yeah. So I wish we could talk all night. I mean, Yeah, I know. So I got to go. I, I, I got to go. Dinner time. So Thanks again. You're Thanks. very welcome. That was the charismatic and slightly larger than life Sanka tenant from Terra Vista Vineyards. I hope you enjoyed listening to that podcast just one little bit as much as I enjoyed recording it because it was so much fun to sit with Sanka on her crush pad. Uh, and have that conversation. I can't tell you, she's a charming, charming person, and it was just a, it was a ride. So, uh, again, hope you enjoyed that. I want to make a note about Terra Vista Vineyards, uh, because th- this, what Senka is doing is really noteworthy. She's very famous for what she did in the development of the Black Hills Winery with her, with her husband, Bob, and, um, you know, the famous, uh, the very well-known Nota Bene uh, Bordeaux blend, which is highly, highly rated. Uh, their Syrah, which is fantastic, uh, and their whites, uh, the Alibi and Alias uh, wines are very, very highly considered. But it's what she's been doing at uh, Terra Vista with her husband, Bob, which I really want to stop and, and, and highlight. They're focusing on white wines, and I wager that if you, I'm certain of this, if you put their white wines up against their international peers in a blind tasting, these wines would kick butt they would come in right at the top echelon of those wines so for example you know her albarino if you were to put that albarino in a blind tasting with the great albarinos from ria spicious it would do really well if you were to put her roussan marsan blend the figaro up against uh, a great white uh, from the rhone uh, the pier there and in a blind tasting would come in at the top tier guaranteed these are amazing wines. And what's even more amazing is that she's bringing them in at a $20 price point. It's it's crazy. The value that you get at these wines is just ridiculous. So they're, they're to be recommended and Senk is to be applauded. She's, she's a very good winemaker and she has the advantage of this beautiful raw material, which are the grapes that grow on the Naramata bench here in the Okanagan Valley in BC. So good stuff, you know, really something out of this world. Uh, normally on the wine beat, we like to do something around food. It's already been a long episode, so I'm not going to do a specific, uh, chat about food, but what I will say is that the Terra Vista Vineyards website has some recipes. Senk is a big believer in matching wine with food and, you know, pairing the foods with the wines and, and finding the combinations. So she's got some recipes there. I encourage you to go to the Terra Vista Vineyards, uh, website to check out those recipes. Also on the Terra Vista Vineyard website, you'll find a picture of that sweet little rattlesnake that we mentioned during the podcast. So check that out as well. Also, go to www.winebeatpod.com to check out the content on my website, including the other podcasts in this series. You can also find my podcasts on iTunes, on Google Play, Stitcher, and uh, on Spotify. So check out the podcasts, listen to those. Give me your feedback. Send me an email at... uh, winebeatpod at gmail.com love to get your feedback drink great wine this week thanks for listening this is craig talk to you next time bye